It's time to break the mold of what you've been taught your entire adult life. Welcome to Happily Ever Employed. A career is a business, and you should run it like a business. Every episode of Happily Ever Employed will teach you just how to focus on how to do that. We'll interview everybody, from people trying to figure it out to CEOs of Fortune 500 companies. This is Happily Ever Employed. And this is Deetra Giles. Hello, 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 employeepreneurs. We are back for part two with Marjorie Powell, SVP and Chief HR Officer at AARP. Marjorie was dropping so many gems on us that we just had to bring her back for a part two. And so Marjorie, since we couldn't let you go, I want to thank you for staying with us. But when we left off, you were talking about how you asked your managers how the company made money. And that is so profound. The idea of being able to go to the people who are running the organization and ask the very important question, how do we make money? Because that's what your employer is in business for. They are in business to make money. And the more you know about that, the more you are aware of how you impact that. And the closer you are aligned to that, the better off you will be. So now I want to know how asking that question benefited you as an employeepreneur. What did the answer to that question or even asking that question do for your career as an employeepreneur? First of all, I think it developed in me as a young person then, um, a young, much younger professional then, um, to have the courage to know when you don't know, okay? Um, and also to have the courage to seek the knowledge that you need. And if you can't become an expert or um, get, garner enough command to know that particular space, know who has it and lean on them as a good business partner to help you when you need that help. And also make sure that it's reciprocal, that you can play to their strength and they can play to yours. So whenever I go into the organization, I find the area that I don't know the most of, and I try to learn that area the most, you know, best. And I also say, okay, that's too complex for me, but I know that this person the expert, and so I always do check-ins with them. Am I understanding this? Am I getting this right? If I do this, how would that impact your work? How would that impact the organization? You know, this is where I want to go. This is the optimal result. How can I, how can you help me get there? You know, and so it's those kind of things being willing to do that. And that's the collaboration behind it. You don't have to do it all the time out loud. You can do it, you know, one-on-one and you can do it in group. But being okay with that is what I mean about being okay, being a supreme, you know? And that's the part of it that you have to do. I I did that at um, NPR. I, I spent the first month in the newsroom, learning how they put out morning edition and, you know, weekend edition. He got up at the early morning and on a Saturday too. Yes, I did. And I did the evening edition. I did all of it, podcast, all of that, because that was new to that media industry and I needed to learn it so that I could do what I needed to do for them best. And it's the same thing at AARP. We have a magazine. I wanted to go, I went to New York. I wanted to see how they laid that out. 
I wanted to know how we do things in our broadcast studio. I wanted to understand um, how we do events. So I actually went to the event and worked as a volunteer on meeting our volunteers, meeting some members or potential members at the event site to see what our event staff does and how they do their work and how we can help them do their work better. But not only that, to understand the work that we want to do to make sure that we're giving our members our very, very best. Because, you know, I'm in those conversations and I hear that. And then I was able to come back and have some good conversations with that executive vice president and say, this is what I learned, you know, from being in the middle of that experience and getting my hands dirty. And I encourage my direct reports to do the same thing. I, I get, get out there in the field and learn this business. That's what you have to do. So what I love about everything you just said and something that we're always teaching employeepreneurs is never be above the business. I don't care what your title is. Mm -hmm. And for you to say, listen, I'm the chief HR officer and I went to an event and volunteered. I'm the chief HR officer and I went to go work here to see what was going on. I went to go put my eyes on the business. And you can never get a title that's so high and get so great that you're above the business. Because when you become above the business is when you stop advancing as an employeepreneur. Exactly. You're exactly right. And I think more of us have to do that. And I think um, particularly leaders and if you're a leader, if you're in a leader role and you're a people manager and you're coming into an organization, that's the main thing that you need to do is you need to, within your own unit, meet with all your employees, as many as you can, and go at the lowest levels of your organization to see what work is like from their vantage point. So that's something I also do often. Um, and I actually try to meet with every one of my team members at least once or twice a year, just as a check-in to say, how are things going? What are we doing well? What are we not doing so well? What can we be doing better? Do you have any ideas for that? And then also tell me what your dreams and goals and aspirations are and are we helping you to get there? And so I think that's important because you need to know that too as a leader. What I love about that is you were just talking about followership and many leaders are often saying, well, my employees aren't good quote unquote followers. And my first question to them, especially to my clients is what are you doing to garner followers from your people? And what you just said is, Hey, I am demonstrating that I am a leader. You want to follow. I'm concerned about you. Mm -hmm. I want to see it. You said go down to where they are and see the work from their vantage point. That is paramount. And what you're doing with that is you're developing your own employeepreneur. So as a leader, how do you create or foster or support these entrepreneurial characteristics in your own employees? Well, for one, I think the short definition of followership is, you know, when people say, I want to know how to get people to follow me, you have to ask, do you know how to follow? I mean, first, you know, I, I know how to follow. I, you know, people work so hard at becoming the big leader, but they forget sometimes how to follow. Because sometimes the, the, the question isn't whether I have the answer and everybody should always follow me. Sometimes some of my subordinates will have the answer and then I have to say, you know what? That's actually the better idea. Tell me how we get there. And I need to help follow them and then support them in getting to the goal. And again, again that's not getting ahead of the business because if they're successful, I'm successful, the business is successful, my boss is successful, 
And that's what's going to happen. You know, you're just, it's going to get there. And so it's, it's being able to do that. Um, it's also, you know, when you're talking to your staff and I'm coaching them and mentoring, that's so important is to really find out from them what followership and what leadership means to them. You know, so tell me what you, what you need from your leaders. Okay. And let's make sure we're going to have an honest conversation if that is realistic. Okay. Some people say, I just want to tell Deidre what to do and I want her to do exactly what I want her to do. And I have the conversation, well, is that, is that, is that fair for one, do you think? And is that something that is realistic? Okay. And we have those conversations and balance it out. And I think that's some of the things that, you know, leaders need to do, um, you know, often is to figure out, are, there, are, we, are we really giving the type of leadership that that particular team needs at that particular time? I love it. So I'm glad you mentioned mentorship because first of all, we both know how vital mentors are to a successful career. I want us to talk about how the shift is going to happen because what we know is people keep saying, I can't wait till we get back to normal. And the reality is what we knew as normal is never going to exist again. We're going to this new world where we have to find a new normal. And part of that is going to be embracing this virtual environment that we've all come so accustomed to over the past three months. How is the face of mentorship going to change for these employeepreneurs as we venture into this new normal? I think that for the, you know, for the employeepreneurs, you have to look at mentoring can happen in three different ways. One, it can happen that you can be a mentor, number one. Number two, it can be the formal type of mentoring where you actually go to someone and say, hey, I would like you to be a mentor to me and I appreciate it and talk to them about what you would like to learn from them and how you would like to get guidance from them. Or it can be now that we're mostly in the virtual world, it can be by watching and observing those people who you admire. And so oftentimes people don't know, you never know who's watching, you never know. And there's been a lot of people in my career that I just actually watched them. I didn't have to go to them and say, can you be my mentor? But I watched them as they go about doing their work. And I learn from them as they go around doing that. And, and sometimes when I'm in meetings with them, I try to make sure I can carve out the last 10 or 15 minutes of our appointment to say, can you tell me a little bit more about this and kind of pick their brain and ask a lot of questions from them. And even in that moment, it's not a formal mentoring relationship, but I've gotten so many grains and kernels and nuggets from them. Okay. I think also in this environment, you have to realize that mentoring is a two-way street. It is always reciprocal and that you have to also be willing to give as much as you are willing to get. And so that's, that's vitally important. And also, if that mentor is willing to give them time and, and their effort and their advice and their counsel, you have to be willing to do the work that they're asking you to do. Oh, I love it. So first of all, you said it is a two-way relationship, give and get. And be willing to do the work. 
I know you've had this happen before, but people come and say, I want to be mentored. And you give them one small task to see how serious they are about the relationship and they don't even get it accomplished. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. But there was one thing you threw out that actually had never crossed my mind. And it's so powerful, though. You mentioned the third way that you can get mentorship is just simply by watching and observing someone. Mm -hmm. Because when we think about mentorship, it's simply just an exchange from a person who's been where you want to go. Mm -hmm. And I don't actually have to always speak to that person to have that exchange. No, you don't. And, you also, and also, I want to remember, remind people that mentoring is not just only looking up. It's looking down and across. Because there can be someone who is a peer to you, and there can be someone who is a subordinate that has a particular skill set or particular competencies or particular uh, a way about them on how they handle different things. If you are struggling with maybe... Um, having difficult conversations, if you're struggling with um, uh, collaboration and you know that this person excels in collaboration, it could be looking at them and saying, let me figure out how they command that. And you can watch them. You know, I, I think people always look up because they, they're looking for mentoring because they want to climb the ladder. They want to be able to ascend in their career. But a lot of the really strong principles of things that I have learned don't necessarily always come from the top. Sometimes I learn things that I, that what not to do from some people who may have been in larger roles than me, <laughs> you know, and I, I'm just, I'm just keeping it 100. I'm speaking, Absolutely. you know, because sometimes you look at people, you say, you know what, that's not the kind of leader I want to be. And so I just learned, how I don't want to be. I want to be this kind of person, or I want to be this kind of manager, or I want to be this kind of teammate, you know, team member or colleague, you know, um, that kind of thing. So you have to look at that and get the good kernels and nuggets from wherever you can find it. And what I love is that you mentioned that mentorship can also come from people who report to us. I remember yeah. working in an organization I went to was a very established organization, hundreds of years old. And my direct report, one of my direct reports was very senior, um, had been there for decades, literally, mm -hmm. I think almost three decades. She was close yeah. to retirement. And she could tell me who to talk to. If I was saying I was going to a meeting, she would say, don't, don't go. He's going to be 25 minutes late. You, you're fine. And mm -hmm. she really mentored me about the culture and the environment and yes. the unspoken politics of the organization that mm -hmm. I was oblivious to. There is no way I would have been as successful as I was in that role had it not been for her mentorship, even though she was my subordinate. Yeah. You can get that from um, the subordinates who've been there for a long time. I often tap into, I call on my employees who have um, historical knowledge of the organization. So whenever I'm looking to do something, I go to those employees who have long tenure in the organization and say, hey, can you tell me, I'm thinking about doing this. Has this ever been done before at AARP? And if it has, tell me from what you remember what that experience was like. And they can give you, you know, all kinds of information or say, yeah, they used to have that, but it used to be in this unit or, you know, this person used to do it. Or I don't know much, but maybe you should talk to this person because they've seen it before you have, 
You know, I only have two years in at AARP, so I tap on that. And I get that from another direction as well, because my manager, my boss, uh, Scott Frisch, he's the COO uh, for the organization, EVP, he has a plethora of knowledge about this organization. And he's, I call him a financial whiz, someone like a little financial mastermind. It scares me how he calculates stuff in his head so quickly, you know, because that's not my strong suit. So I lean on him a lot for that. And also because he knows uh, various parts of the business, um, I get so much from him um, in pitching those ideas and getting insights from him, you know, when we're about to go down a particular road or travel something, you know, ahead of time. And I think that that's important for you to, you know, be okay with as well. Um, you know, um, several other individuals, you know, our COO, um, chief of staff, um, they've been at that organization and have worked in every aspect of it. And then, of course, you know, our CEO, she's worked, I think she's had a role in every part of that organization, which is why she's so good at it, because she knows everything. And I think that's wonderful. And so even just to get and, and listen and hear her tell stories about different areas of the organization and what she's learned and what she's taught, it, it, it really arms you to be able to do a better job. I absolutely love it. And so we have those three areas of mentorship, but you also mentioned there are times when there will be some one-on-one -on -one mentorship. Yeah. What is your formula or recommendation for how to approach someone to be your mentor, but also starting with, first of all, how do you select who you should approach for a mentorship? And once you select that person, what's your formula for how you approach them and ask them to be your mentor? I, I think the most successful mentorships I had was when I chose a person that really was strong in the areas that I was not. I think people have a tendency to gravitate towards sameness. Sameness, that's normal human behavior. You know, like birds of a feather, we flock together. Um, we always go toward people that are like us. I think that the better mentor relationships are the ones where you're saying, you know, I don't really have that. I'm not doing that piece over here as well as I'd like to. I think that's the person I need to work with. Um, I think then you need to sit down and just write down a very short plan. Maybe pick two things that if you could get time with them and within six months, they would be able to impart some knowledge upon you in those two areas over that six month time period that is a good mentorship and, re and also be realistic that the mentoring relationship doesn't have to be something that is engaging in that in perpetuity okay because sometimes you know you might only need to be around getting a lot of tutelage or learning or anything from that individual for a six month period or maybe just a year it doesn't have to be something that's you know continuous like for the you know balance of your career or for multiple years. And also remember that that person is, especially if you're going um, looking upward, the, the broader their job is means they have very little time. And so you gotta keep it short and really hone in on the things that you want from them and then make sure that it make it worth their while as well as yours, you know? And then just kind of create a schedule. If you're gonna do it over that six months, say, okay, I'd like to meet with you once a month. And for the first month, I want to talk about this. The second month, I want to talk about this. And third and fourth and fifth and sixth. And then when you're not meeting, 
write down some things that perhaps they can give you some assignments on so that you can be doing something and then come back to report back to them on what you've done as a part of the engagement. I love it. So the few things you did was you dropped some very good tangible things that people can do. First of all, make it worth their while also. This is a relationship, which means it's a two-way thing. Especially, like you said, if they're above, sideways, beneath, however, it should be a symbiotic relationship. Mm-hmm. Two, be respectful of their time. Yes. Especially mm-hmm. if they're upwards, their time capacity is smaller, so they may not have an hour every week to meet with you. And yes. respect that. Yeah. And then also you said, make a schedule. That is so important, especially if you're trying to get someone to say yes. The people that have been the most successful with me agreeing to be their mentor Mm -hmm. are the people that made it easy for me to say yes. The people that say, like you said, I just need 10 minutes of your time twice a month. And in between, here's what I'll do. Here's the schedule and I'll plan it out. And here are the the things that I need mentoring on. And here are the questions I want to work through for our mentorship. And I would like if you could do that for a three month period. Mm Mm-hmm. Easy peasy. Let, let's do it. Let's do it exactly, um, and then make sure that you're gonna ask them for the things that they really um, have the capacity to give you. I actually had someone come to me, and they wanted to have this great career in communications and marketing, and I don't have that skill set. And I kept saying, "Well, I'm I'm not understanding what exactly is it that you need from me." And they're like, "Well, I want you to mentor me." I said, "Well, why don't you tell me what it is that you think you admire about me, or what it is that I do, and then let's start from there." And then I, you know, said, "Okay, you don't need me for that. You need me for this. Let me introduce you to someone that's in the profession that you actually want to grow in." And you can talk to them about that because I can't impart upon you that knowledge from that profession, but she can. I can impart upon you this piece. And then at the end of the day, when she finally did that work and came back, she realized, you know, it's probably better that I do work with this person. I'm like, aha, <laughs> you know, because again, you know, they're so, they're, they, they're attracted to you because of, they see the things that you're doing. They might like your presence. They might like your delivery, your command or different things of that nature, but they don't realize that what I really want is this. And that's why I said, be very, very clear about what it is you want to get out of it and make sure that that other person is clear and you both come to an agreement that that's what you're going to work on. And that's the essence of the relationship because what in for all employeepreneurs, you have to realize it's not the mentor's responsibility to guide the relationship. Yes. Their job is to make their hindsight your foresight, but their job is not to make this relationship work. And every relationship isn't meant to work, right? That's true. That's true. Sometimes we're just not a good fit. Sometimes you're not. And um, and again, like I said, remember timing is everything. Timing is everything. It doesn't have to be a long relationship. It can be a couple of meetings. It can be, you know, a couple of months. Um, And remember, I said, the mentoring, when people don't know you're watching, you know, you can get a lot from that. It it absolutely, I remember... One at one organization, I had this one young guy. He was so, so young. I mean, he had to be fresh out of high school, not even college. And 
he would he asked me to be his mentor and I said you know I just don't have the time mm-hmm. I am so sorry I just don't have the time to do it and he was so eager and persistent that he said and in hindsight I'm like this was kind of stalkery but he said hey I know you go to a meeting every Tuesday morning at 8 a.m. He was right. That's when we had an executive meeting and I would walk across campus to go to that meeting every Tuesday morning at 8 a.m. And the meeting started at nine. I always get there early to, to network and things before the meeting started. And he said, if I walk with you to that meeting, will you talk with me on that walk? It's a 10 yeah. minute walk. Why not? This young man took full advantage of those 10 minutes every Tuesday morning and never asked for more. He never asked to get more time and took full advantage. I mean, walking, talking, taking notes, recording everything, 10 minutes every Tuesday morning for about six months. He is doing very well (laughs) in his career now and still communicates with me, but be persistent. And like you said, let be intentional about the time that you're taking up from that person. And sometimes it can also just be, as I say, being a fly on the wall. Um, I I can recall uh, early on in my career, I also saw someone who um, had done major jobs in the university, had been a a associate provost, had been interim provost with the VP of student affairs, had done all these different things. And at the time he was in his full-time role as the VP of student affairs. And uh, I just said, you know, Dr. June, is it okay if I, uh, kind of uh, taken from the higher ed learning, audit a couple of meetings, things that you think it would be okay for me to just sit in and watch you do this work so I can have a better understanding of how this works. Um, he was like, sure. It was just getting an invitation to the meeting to sit over in the corner and to take notes and to learn about what was going on with that particular subject matter or even how he ran the meetings with all these different business units to see how he managed that. Because that was something early on in my career was like, how do you run these big meetings with all these big personalities around one table and try to get everybody to come to some agreement as to what the deliverables are for that day. Mm -hmm. And so just kind of learning that, you know, by sitting in the corner was, you know, something that I took full advantage of. Um, It didn't have to be anything more formal than that. And I don't think people realize that that's so important. There are so many people that are my mentors in my head, and we have never met. And they don't know. (laughs) They have no clue. Like, when I think of Ken Chenault, just following his career and how he advanced to American Express, in my head, he's like my, we have monthly meetings mm-hmm. and conversations. This man is retired. He has no idea that in real life, he's my mentor. And there's some people that I just listen to their TED Talks all the time. Um, like I love Brene Brown. Oh, yes. I know. So anytime she has something, I just have to listen to it. Okay. And then she had a Netflix special? Who? I know, right? And so, <laughs> and so every time she's doing something, sometimes I hear her in, my vo- in, in her voice in my head coaching me, you know, <laughs> and she doesn't know that, but it's there. Um, but, but it's one of those things where, like I said, you can look at people from afar and, and do that. And, and that's a way of pulling from those nuggets of, you know, what it is, what is it that they're doing that I could learn from 
you know, more. I love it. So Marjorie, I could keep you all day, but I know I have to respect your time. So I want to thank you so much. What are the closing things that you just need for every employeepreneur to know to truly, truly recognize that they are a multi-billion dollar organization and their career is their product? What must they leave here knowing from Marjorie Powell, the amazing Marjorie Powell? Know that you... Figure out your worth, okay? And I'm not talking about dollars and cents, but what you value the most about yourself and what is most valuable to other people. And take stock of that. Know, once you understand what that worth is, that that worth is worth something to somebody else too. Because once you stop working in an environment of fear, of they're not gonna, they're not gonna get me, they're not gonna understand my worth, and I got to keep trying to show them how good I am, then you'll know that you're able to calm down and do your best work because you know if they don't appreciate it, you can easily take those gifts and talents someplace else. So are you really just going to drop that on us as we're ending the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> we did not just drop that treasure chest. As we're like, okay, we're leaving now. And she drops like, boom, here you go. I'll just leave y'all. You can sit on that for a minute. Well, wow. You marinate on that. And I think you have to marinate on it. You have to have hard conversations with yourself and you have to get the courage to say, you know what? I am worth a lot. I give a lot. I am generous. I am kind. I'm smart. I'm dynamic. I really care about this organization. But you know what? There's another organization that will care about that too. Oh my gosh. Pete, that is so important, being able to sit down and recognize your worth. And that's where we bring in that entrepreneur aspect. There is no entrepreneur out there selling a product or service that has not thought about what that product or service is worth. And if your career is your product for your multi-billion dollar organization, how can you call yourself a true employeepreneur if you haven't truly thought about the worth of your product? Exactly. It's impossible. impossible. So Marjorie, I want to thank you so, so, so much for coming on with us today. Everyone in our audience, happily ever employed employeepreneurs, go to AARP. If you are not of age yet, which most of you are, we know who you are. If you are not, you know someone who is. And hearing the resources that Marjorie dropped that I'm sure many of us had no clue were coming from AARP, you need to be tapped into these resources because I already know where I'm going when I get off this podcast. <laughs> and you need to be checking it out too. Thank you so much, Marjorie. I appreciate you and yeah. I appreciate your team. I want to give a special shout out to Terry and Jason over at AARP who truly were <laughs> instrumental behind the scenes with making this happen because talked about being a good supreme they were excellent supremes in contacting <laughs> me getting everything i needed they were absolutely amazing so thank you so much for agreeing to be on and thank you for dropping all of the gems you dropped for the happily ever employed audience i appreciate you more than you will ever know thank you thank you
I appreciate you for listening to Happily Ever Employed. Don't just change your life, change your friend's life and make sure to share this podcast. You can find me at Deetra Giles on Facebook or D-U-G-I-L-E-S on Instagram and Twitter. If you want to email me, you can reach me at D-U-G-I-L-E-S at execuprep.com. That's E-X-E-C-U-P-R-E-P. And remember, I love you with my whole heart area. So go out, be great, unapologetically and on purpose.